The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our inter internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your choices of ministry, selections of ministry and service in our midst, and come Sunday as the Spirit moves, your presence with us. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. To begin our time of worship regularly, it is our habit of being to lift our prayers of confession as we pass along the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali and our own homes and places. We recognize our slowness to hear and to heed a word of light coming into darkness as we ourselves pass by the Sea of Galilee and walk its banks in our own homes and lives. We also recognize our slowness to hear and heed the call to follow, to rise up, to become salt and light. As the choir sings our Kyrie, may we offer silently our prayers of confession. Peace, 
pardon and peace. Grace comes upon us to cleanse and brighten our living, to empower us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us. Beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. A people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I invite you now to read responsibly with me verses from Psalm 27 with the antiphon. and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in the Lord's temple. For the Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. The Lord will conceal me under the cover of his tent and will set me high upon the rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart said. Seek the Lord's face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. you to rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria, the singing of our hymn, and the reading of our gospel. Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. 
From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. It is unfortunate, perhaps, that we in the frozen north have not considered more steadily a central feature of our life together and what it may teach us about God. We have shoveled snow. We have groveled before snowstorms. We have muffled our inner plea for warmth. We have stifled our spouses Decor, take me to San Diego. 
We have trifled with the details, many they be, of the weather channel, but shovel, gravel, muffle, stifle, and trifle, though we have done, we have not fully considered the gracious presence of snow. James Sanders, our teacher in New York and Los, Angel Los Angeles, noted repeatedly, theologize first, then moralize. So let us reason together about the preventive interruption, the personal reckoning, the cleansing presence of snow. A snow day, you know there is a school of Hillel and a school of Shammai and all things, and some you perhaps consider we have too many snow days, and some she perhaps may think that we have too few, but truth is not in the number, you can be assured that another someday will come. We have friends on the eastern bank of Lake Ontario, near where we grew up. Not long ago, in just a space of three days, they had 54 inches of white powder on the Tug Hill. Our friend is a pastor in Sandy Creek, a little village on Route 11, to which he refers his hometown as a little bit of heaven on Route 11. There is a snow day that falls every now and then. And a snow day is one day of grace within the great day of God. Grace falls upon us like snow. I mean, snow falls upon us like grace. You perhaps too grew up in a long home and line of students and some teachers for whom the 5 a.m. viewing of the announcements of closings is a religious depth, a moment where others may provide votive candles or beads or sacred scripture, you watch the teleprompter praying to the ivory goddess that this might be a day that mom and dad stay home, that children are swept up in the joy of sport and athletics, a day of dad's chili, of igloos cut to perfection, of the family joining together to chip the ice away from the roof. A snow day says, flake by flake, you are not God. A snow day interrupts, and we for our health, I mean our salvation, need that prevenient interruption every now and then to remind us. We otherwise think too steadily and too much of ourselves and too unsteadily and not often fully enough of the great divine love embracing us. You are not God. The snow day reminds us that we should be careful, therefore, not to expect of ourselves godly achievement, not to expel, expect godly performance activity from our neighbors, friends, spouses, co-workers, and all. We are far more human than anything, anything else. Otherwise, without that interruption, we tend to enter down the long train of human experience of idolatry. We worship the creature and not the Creator. So Albert Camus reminded us that our collective life, our society, 
should be a gathering wherein each, he wrote, shall correct one another and there and a limit under the sun shall control them. Each will say to the other, he is not God. So flake by flake, Dorothy Day says to Wall Street, you are not God. And Julian Bond sent to an earlier white America, you are not God. And Betty Friedan said to the old boy network, you are not God. And a president may say to the Congress, you are not God. And the Congress may say to the president, you are not God. And into the new millennium, this stretching out before us this century, John Smith may say to women, you are not God. And Jane Doe may say to children, you are not God. And together we may just pen a hymn and sing it. I am not God and you are not God and we are not God together. All God's people all around the world, yes, we are not God together. That is good news. It's a preventive interruption. More than 20 years ago, on one of those weeks in the winter when I was attempting to rebuild a church, renew Northern Methodism, become financially independent, complete a PhD all in the space of 18 months, give it two years at the most, I found my way in calling. There are only two forms of ministry, speaking and listening, 25 minutes of speaking a week and 25 hours of visiting a week. A call on Alice Russell, a 79-year-old retired botanist from Syracuse University who in her late 70s was seen climbing a sycamore tree to propound some now forgotten pedagogical point. A person of vim, vigor, vitality, and pepperino. She said, you can come after four, I read until then, we'll have tea. She listened, I listened. She spoke, I spoke. And then she offered this light loving limerick on a bright snowy snow day. She felt it fit. She said, you know, it reminds me. There once was a pastor named Fiddle who refused to accept a degree. For he said, tis enough to be Fiddle without being fiddle DD. And two years later, when the dissertation was finally accepted, I received a note of encouragement and congratulations signed, and P.S., there once was, not to put too fine a point upon it. Grace is not something we do. Grace is something that happens to us. Love is not something we achieve. Love is something we receive and return. And a snow day above all days says, you are not God. That is preventive. It is also a liberating, freeing, reckoning. It's a grace known to the church for the ages. Of course, like Camus, St. Augustine taught along the sunny, warm ocean beaches of North Africa. What kind of life is that after all? And he was able to explain the Trinity by saying, God the Father is the Son. God the Son is the beam of light. God the Spirit is the touch and warmth of the light upon your cheek. But you know, we need to personally reckon with grace and make it our own. So had Augustine grown up in Boston, he might have said, 
God, the creator, is like a great cumulonimbus cloud about to shower you with a great nevada. God, the sun is like snow itself, flake upon flake, snow upon snow. God, the spirit is the taste and feel of that flake upon your tongue. You need to make this your own. We revere the scripture because it forms us. It has that function, challenging and correcting us. But it was written in the warm climate of Palestine, where some of our students have been studying this past semester. What if the scripture had been written in New England? It might sound a little different. And God divided the snowbanks from the snowbanks, firmament from firmament. And there was evening and morning one day. And Isaac, with his huskies, met Rebecca in her muckalucks down by the frozen lake. And he said, put your pickaxe in the ice that we might together, thou lovely one, drink this flowing stream. And Pharaoh's daughter saw a sled coming downhill with a little boy in a snowsuit, and when it stopped, she gathered him up and took her, him to the hearth and warmed his ruddy cheeks. And speaking of Pharaoh, the children of Israel speeded across the blue sea, and Pharaoh and his chariots and his army came, and God sent a heat wave and melted that ice, and they went down into the briny deep. By, by the icicles of Babylon, we sat down and wept. This would be then truly our scripture. One must be born of snow and the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. For God sends God's snow on the just and on the unjust alike. A man built his house upon the rock to conclude. And the snow fell, and the blizzard came, and the lake effect wind blew, and it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. Do you know in 1966, in the little hamlet of Hamilton, New York, that sits in the shadow of Colgate University, we were showered with 10 days of lasting quiet, deep peace, the greatest snowfall in my lived experience. There are things I can see now about 1966 that I could only overhear then. A time of earnest conflict about war and peace. A time of the emergence of human rights. A time of racial and cultural tensions. And the year before, 13 women Coeds had come to Colgate to live in the Colgate Inn. All that was happening. But on those ten days fell snow upon snow, and a lasting quiet as the bread loaves disappeared from the shelves of Danahy's Market, and we had to eat leftovers and our neighbors' leftovers, but it was hockey and hiking and hilarity, and it was a great peace to remind us that what counts in life is God's love, that what matters in existence is God's grace, that what most needs doing, this is the good news, God has done and so liberated us and set us free. What is most costly, God has offered, and what we most can trust, God has given us. 
day by day. In those snowy days, one may have been reading Josiah Royce. Our world is the object of a, of a lasting divine insight, at which itself is the supreme reality. Or maybe one read Unamuno who said, Cuídate solo de la idea que de ti Dios tenga. That is, don't worry too much about what others may say or how you appear. You concern yourself with the idea that God may have of you. It needs to be personal, so... Well, after I might uh, note, the theme for this sermon and the title were placed and posted publicly. Just two days ago, I received a personal part snow day. Three meetings we were to attend and a certain faculty nearby were hereby canceled by a gracious note from a certain dean whose name I can't give, but her initials are Mary Elizabeth Moore. And she said, take the day and luxuriate in its beauty. Ah, that liberating grace of God. The grace of God falls upon us like snow or snow-like grace and gives us prevention to help us and liberation to reckon with and also a cleansing and a guiding power that keeps us moving forward. That's the thing about snow. It's uncontrolled and uncontrollable. It's unpredictable. It's both quieting and disquieting. It's both large and small and light and heavy and freeing and all. It brings us back home to our own most selves. I love reading the Boston Globe. I love reading it for many reasons. I mentioned two. One, all of those stories about the seacoast, about fishing, about nautical items, flotsam and jetsam and uh, islands. My life would be much cheaper, much less if I didn't know the name of the island, Cuddy Hunk. It's wonderful to have those stories. The others are the obituaries, so lastingly and beautifully written day by day. One written this week about a minister, Wells Grogan, who had been at the Congregational Church in Cambridge. A, a, a pilot, a prisoner of war, his parishioner said, I came and waited expectantly for the beginning of those two, 20, 22 minutes of sermons. Another wrote, he was himself brutally honest and caused us to be brutally honest with ourselves. Another wrote, he not, not only knew how to preach, but he knew how to come and converse and open a glass of sherry and enjoy a conversation and a story, one of which he told regularly was that as a prisoner of war with 50 others, they were given for a meal one loaf of bread, and he was asked, he was trusted with the responsibility of cutting that loaf slice by slice so that each was equal and the portions were fair. There's a growth, there's a guidance, there's a development in this life of grace coming to us and falling upon us. No, the, the real question is not whether there will be another snow day or how many there will be. The question will be, when it comes, will we find the grace to receive it? Here is sin. 
a definition of sin. Sin is not taking what's offered. Will you receive the grace of the gift of life? That is baptism. Will you receive the grace of the gift of faith? That is confirmation. Will you receive the grace of the gift of health, redemption? That is Eucharist. Will you receive the grace of the gift of companionship? That is marriage. Will you receive the grace of the gift of forgiveness? That is prayer. Will you receive the grace of the gift of calling? That is ordination. Will you receive, speaking of calling, the grace that calls us home to an eternal and lasting blessing? On January 10th, I visited the field in which Jan and I have found our post-retirement home, those places, those plots in which we shall be for many a year and all eternity. It's not much to look at in the summer, but in the winter, under that blanket of white, in the winter, under that cover of bright, in the winter, under in this winter's great snow, a nevada of lasting beauty, a nevada encantada, an enchanting snowfall. Will you receive the grace that calls you home, a lasting and eternal blessing? We receive the grace of God flake by flake, and so with the church of all ages we affirm together I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we enter into this time of prayer, we invite you to pray in the posture to which you feel called. Feel free to stand where you are or kneel at the communion rail. Lift up your hands or bow your heads. Now, please join me in singing, Lead Me, Lord.
God of great light, as a diverse community, we lift up a unified prayer to you so that in this moment we can express our gratitude and our aching, our longing and our awe. Please accept this prayer with the grace and generosity that you have blessed us in our lives thus far. Because God, we do have so much. Show us where in our lives we have two coats so that we might clothe the naked. Show us in our lives where we overconsume, so that we might nourish the starving. Bless our hearts with simplicity, so that we can ease the vice grip on the things that will rust away, and open our hands in worship of you. Indeed, God, at times we feel that we have so little. Our energy and our finances, our intellect and our compassion are all harrowingly finite. We shudder in the cold of insecurity, frozen in our inventions of spiritual scarcity, as if we were of less value than the sparrow or less adorned than the flowers in the field. Chisel us out of our prisons, O God, and lead us through green pastures and healing streams. And precious God, we whisper this prayer not only for our own hearts, but for the body of Christ in which we are inextricably connected. Lead your children, God, not only in our personal lives, but in our church policy. Wipe away our resentment, not only in our familial ties, but in our national diplomacy. Shine as a great light as we walk our individual path with you, but rise also on the horizons of the whole world, so that we might stake an end to the violence we commit against each other. Yes so that we might never delude ourselves so much as to think that shutting another out would be anything but amputation. And it is with you, O oh God, that we find wholeness. Through your embrace, we are drawn out of the sea of despair and into the harbor of inner peace. And by your grace, we are called to go again into those murky waters and become fishers of people, extending your love until every heart is warmed. We praise you, God, for the helping hand of Jesus Christ, a Savior who was humble enough to serve and indeed serves us to this very morning. We honor him with the words he taught his disciples to say, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We are glad you have come to join us here in the Nave of Marsh Chapel this morning and hope you will take a moment to help us get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the week by putting your name and contact information in the red pads to be found along the center aisle of each pew. We uh, would note that Marsh Chapel activities, barring any more snow days, are well underway and we would ask you to take a look at the bulletin and uh, at the chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel for more information about those services and activities and for the and on the chapel website for the opportunity for online giving. On behalf of our Director of Music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, I would uh, take a moment to invite you next Sunday morning uh, at 9.45 a.m. here in the nave of Marsh Chapel to join us for the Bach Experience for a time of learning about the Bach Cantata that will be offered in the context of the liturgy during the 11 o'clock service next morning, uh, next Sunday morning. Uh, as the third of our annual Bach Cantata series this year. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
gifts before you and dedicate them to your service in our world. Bless them and bless us as we seek to discern your will and to dedicate ourselves to your service. Amen. make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.